All right, hello and welcome back. My name is Ebony and you're in for a treat. This is another DMT Espresso That. This is 15 minutes or less on a topic that's trendy, trending, or on my heart and mind. Welcome back. All right, I'm going to preface this. This is your public service announcement that this topic can be considered, well, controversial. So I'm going to try to bring facts. I'm going to try to stay objective. And more than that, I want everybody to keep an open mind. I love rebuttals. I love debates. I would love to hear everybody's uh, belief or thoughts on this particular topic. So keep an open mind. This is a discussion, and I feel the need that this is one that needs to happen. Well, we are t what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about COVID-19 vaccines and, well, African-American or Black community populations. Uh, what is known as this vaccine hesitancy. Uh, where does it stem from? Where is it, where is it coming from? What does this word even mean? Um, for those that aren't necessarily rooted in academia or understanding kind of the, even those that don't even understand the history of some of this mistrust, this distrust, this, this hesitancy uh, is built on history. Not saying that's the same in truth now, but you have to understand history does apply some things that we get today, especially with what we are calling misinformation. So with that in mind, I kind of want to take you through kind of uh, three major events in history, in American history at that, that kind of is built on this, this distrust, really, of the government, and especially um, the medical profession uh, in black communities. Uh, so strap in, buckle up. I know this is going to be a hard topic to listen to, so if you would rather suspend those beliefs um, and... Move on. I'm talking about, hey guys, so this is first topic is going to be talking about the start of modern gynecology uh, and what kind of perpetuated, well, some hesitancy to uh, black people trusting the government or white doctors, physicians. Uh, so in 1808, uh, you had the federal ban of importing uh, slaves from other countries. So what did this in fact do was actually breed a need for American slaves to birth, have domestic birth, slave births, right? So you had to be born into it at this point. And so what happens is that you've got an alignment that allow for uh, the slave owners to have an interest as well as those white physicians to have a, a need that women in childbirth needed to stay healthy, must live longer, uh, retain a certain value. So you had um, what was breeding experimentation on black slaves, black African-American slaves without their consent as they were seen as property. So this is an important context to remember. But even more than that, you start talking about the inhumanity of what was actually going on. Women were being operated on, were being experimented on without anesthesia. Uh, these women were also being thought of as having less pain because they were black. Uh, less pain, like they were, they were, they were, there was this belief that black people experience less pain than white people. And so take that into consideration. Kind of, I'm not going to go to full disclosure of all the things that were happening, but you had what we deemed medical professionals that were getting accolades 
off the backs of these African slaves and building modern medicine. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with building modern medicine. But it's the ethics behind it. There seem to be none. And so you get people like J. Marion Sims, who was the president of the American, American Medical Association and then was dubbed the father of modern chronology. But what well, you don't. OK, so here's number two. Another such instance of uh, ethical considerations and probably a, a larger reason why uh, the government is less trusted and the medical uh, establishment as a whole is less trusted is the study, the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in Negro males. Now, if you have not heard about it, have don't really know about it, I want to give you kind of this preface. It was a study that was started in 1932, uh, originally had 600 African-American men from Macon County, Alabama, that were enlisted to partake in this scientific experimentation on syphilis. These men were given blood tests, x-rays, spinal taps, and even these once um, they were deceased, there, there were actually autopsies conducted on these um, participants. Now, the goal was to observe the natural history of untreated syphilis in black populations. Now, I will tell you that this was not told to those members. These members, these participants, these subjects were unaware that they were not receiving actual treatment for syphilis or bad blood. And, and this is where the controversy lies. There was this belief, and it always comes back to this belief, that black people, regardless of education, background, where they come from, situation, didn't matter, was that they would not be convinced to seek treatment for syphilis. So then, in a way, this kind of justifies the study in and of itself, right? No, not actually. Um, how this Tuskegee study actually gained traction and kept going for some 40 years was that it wasn't called an experiment. It was called a study in nature. And it was meant to observe the natural progression of syphilis within this community that apparently would never have or wouldn't seek treatment. What was important was this. These members were told that they were going to be treated for syphilis. Then this same population, the same population, these participants, these subjects were then prevented from actually getting and seeking treatment that would have saved their lives. Thus, the results that were coming out of this particular study, of the Sistiki study, was a self-fulfilling prophecy. What those experimenters, those, those members were trying to find, well, of course they found it. They, they, <laughs> it's very hard to, to talk about this because I, I could see where you start seeing some distrust. They met, their, they met their goal, right? So what's also important about this particular study and why I'm spending a little more time on is because you had, a, had expanding for years, years, and I say years, 40 years. In 1943, you get the Henderson Act that required tests and treatment for venereal diseases to be publicly funded. And by 1947, then you had penicillin. That was the standard treatment for syphilis. So then you had the United States Public Health Service actually putting up treatment centers that treated 
syphilis with penicillin. And here, here's the, here's the crux of the, the ethical issue. 399 men were prevented from receiving that treatment. What did you get out of this was that in 1972, November 16th, a front page on the New York Times, because you had a whistleblower who leaked information about this study. And by then, studies ended, but the important part is what were the unintended or intended consequences? By the time you only had 74, what was deemed test subjects still living, still alive. 128 of them had died from syphilis or other complications from it. You had 40 wives that had been infected by it and 19 children who had acquired congenital syphilis. What was the outcome of this? Well, for this study, for experiments, it drove the need for obtaining informed consent from all participants in a study. It was required for research on humans. And then it required that this process was overseen by an institutional review board within academia and hospitals. Okay, so here's the third one. I wanna talk a little bit about Henrietta Lacks. Uh, if you don't know about her, uh, her cells are what has stemmed a lot of innovation and has been proved invaluable to medical research, modern medical research at that. What was important about this was that she was a black woman who was treated unsuccessfully for cervical cancer in 1951. But what was not told to the family was that from her tumors, uh, well, they kept samples of tissues and they were continuing to conduct studies after her death. The family was kept in the dark. And, well, they eventually themselves became subject of scientific interest without really knowing what was going on or the context for why it was so important for them to be uh, a part of science. Okay. So talking about the COVID-19 vaccine, what you're seeing today, this term vaccine hesitancy or vaccine hesitant, uh, there's another term that they would like us to use, which is vaccine deliberate, which I still got to research and understand more what that even means. But I kind of wanted to bring some facts. I went to webmd.com uh, and, and found an article uh, that was written uh, in February. Uh, and here's some, here's some numbers, right? Um, so about 40% of black people and 45% of Latinos uh, were at least partially vaccinated as of August 16th, uh, compared to 50% of white people. Well, why is this important? Well, you still have, well, partly to blame for these numbers, I suppose, uh, is misinformation. Um, there, there's this blame for these communities of Latinos and African-Americans being vaccine hesitant. And there's this term being used called the need for vaccine deliberate. What does this even mean? What, what is this being called from? Why is there a lagging of black and Latino vaccine rates behind white people in America? Is it because of this hesitancy? Is it because of, well, history? Partly to blame, in general, is fear-mongering and misinformation. What you saw in the news, if you pay really close attention, was this 
this determination to point back to history. Henrietta Lacks, the Tuskegee study. And for people of some prominence in community to come back and, and, and tell the African-American community, to tell these lower socioeconomic status, poverty communities that why should they trust the government when in the past they did these things that were highly unethical. Again, not saying just in general the fear-mongering was among that, but that was partly to blame was fear-mongering. Then you had, well, this, this misinformation about the actual vaccine. But it's really hard to downplay misinformation when, when we first saw the vaccines roll out. What was occurring, and people could see this, was that these vaccines were being readily made available to white and affluent peoples in their communities. And this, this definitely led to inequitable distribution of what could have been life-saving medicine to lower and impoverished community. And I won't get into literacy rates and other things, but what's important about this is that you later had the, these, these treatment sites, these centers become available in these lower SES communities. And so now black people are, or these communities of, of, of color are questioning COVID-19 vaccines. So not only are you combating fear-mongering, you're combating misinformation, but now you've got people in their mind, an African-American or black community, that's trying to explain away or direct this, the new information that's even been presented about the vaccine, or this heightened wariness and concern about being given the vaccine. Now, what I will say is that these numbers, there's they, anybody can throw numbers at you, and I, and I just read it to provide comparison. But what's really important is that African-American communities aren't the only people that are receiving this misinformation. As a whole, if you take in literacy, if you take in this, this fear mongering that occurred, it, it definitely played a part in general in the lagging of America in getting the vaccine got to deal with it and so I've talked about this I would love to hear your ideas I thank you for listening in uh, and I hope to see you again so as always I'm sending peace love positivity and good vibes stay in the know get to know uh, academia and, and everything read 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 uh, multiple sources uh, not just one source um, don't just start blocking people on social media that's another one um, Something I'll talk about, talking about uh, blocking people on social media, uh, built, bu building on an algorithm. Um, don't just completely block yourself from other news. Um, I think it's highly important that you take both sides into consideration. And this is why I felt it important to speak on this now. So please let me know what you think. I will see you next time.